This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. The National Women's Soccer League kicks off March 16th on ION. Out in front to Williams. It's a new Saturday night destination featuring the best players in the world. See the full schedule and find where to watch at IONNWSL.com. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful tonight slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. The Super Bowl is over. That means it's officially draft season. It's been draft season for a while, but now it's official. Sam Monson here, back with the great Mike Renner for another draft episode of the PFF NFL Podcast. How's it going, Mike? Doing fantastic. And like you said, it's been draft season for a while. Right. For me, as a Packers fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've been, I've been looking since like mid-October. That's the thing. We're, we're there on, you know, Radio Row all the week before the Super Bowl, and 30 of the 32 teams in the NFL are full into draft mode, full into, you know, off-season team-building mode. Like, there's yeah. only two teams relevant for the last week. Um, before we get onto that, though, I have to get your take because we, we talked about it after the, the, the game. Where are you on that James Bradbury holding call? Ooh, that's a good question. So, I mean, by the letter of the law, probably a hold. But I, I think the best way I saw it put, I don't remember who said it on Twitter, but they said if that wasn't flagged, you would have had about 5% of the outrage of it if it was flagged. Yeah. That's like a good way to put it. It's like that wasn't flagged, no one bats an eye. Right. No one bats an eye. And I think it's similar. Uh, I think it's even more so than last week's penalty. You know, obviously both games kind of end on like, unfortunately, on penalties, putting them into scoring position or kind of like ending it. But the one last week was much more like that's a penalty – 9.5 times out of 10. This is a penalty probably 50-50, honestly. Yeah. That was probably just more of like a toss-up how many times that gets flagged versus doesn't. The one thing that confuses me is they showed a replay in the stadium where the, the kind of pull of the jersey is much more obvious. And I haven't seen that replay outside of the stadium. Like really? I, Fox didn't seem to show it. It's not all over Twitter. I don't understand why that replay is not everywhere right now. Was it the one from kind of like a high angle that's like right a- as he's going off, you kind of see him still on it as he's kind yeah, of separating? Yeah, but it's from like behind Bradbury almost. Okay, it's, from a, it's an angle that I haven't seen. The end zone they're going towards from yeah. that angle. Okay, which is, which is the angle we were sitting yeah. at um, in, the, in the auxiliary press yeah. box thing. So it, it, it was much more obvious in the stadium than it's been subsequently. So like every – you know, video or, or kind of thing I've seen since, you're like, yeah, that, that's really marginal looking. But it, I think it was much more clear in that. And specifically, I think it's much more clear to the official that was looking at it because as soon as that jersey comes out, even if it's marginal, they call those, right? Like that's the kind of the thing they're conditioned to look for. That's it. It's a fl- it was a flag. Like it is a f- by letter of the law, a flag. 
So if you are an Eagles fan, I, that's not where I'm looking to like lick my wounds. So, you, so I saw Richard Sherman say on his podcast that it was so marginal that New York should have called down and been like, pick it up. <laughs> just, just pick it that up. That would have been hell. All hell would have broken right. loose. But, they they but could not do that. This, this would be like the one scenario where the NFL's like obsession with hiding how they do things would have actually worked in their favor, right? Yeah. Because they could have actually gotten away with getting on the horn. You know, no. after a conversation, we've yeah. decided there is no flag of the play, right? And it's yeah. just New York picking it saying, dudes, you cannot, you cannot end the Super Bowl that way. Pick that flag up this second. Yeah, after the AFC Championship game. I mean, it really was for such a good game, both that and last week, two weeks ago. It sucks that it has to end like that. It really you know, does. It kind of really just put a stain on it. It was such a good game oh, before yeah. that. It really, it does. That's, I'm so kind of torn because you're right. Like, letter of the law, it, it is a flag, and you can see why they call it, but it's just such a crappy way for such a good game. And I think that's why you're seeing so much, so many people talking about it is because they, they wanted it to end better. Right. I would say it's, it's more that they got spoiled. It spoiled the fun than it actually was an egregious call. Um, one more bit of NFL news we need to hit before we get into the draft. Shane Steichen to the, the Indianapolis Colts. It's not Coach Saturday. I, this one was a no-brainer, right? Like, it was an absolute – I mean, especially Coach Saturday, but, like, even in the – realm of all the quarterbacks that were excuse me all the coaches head coaching candidates that were available hey maybe the guy that coached justin herbert and jalen hurts is the guy to then take whatever rookie quarterback you're going to draft to the next level like right. the guy who has the best track record in recent years of quarterback development is probably the guy i want leading my rookie quarterback into the NFL. we uh we joked that the 12-hour marathon interviews you know were basically just jim Irsay playing madden with the various coaching candidates right and he would set up with the 04 madden or the 04 colts team and he'd give yeah. them like the 2023 version and then just be waxing them <laughs> left and center. there were reports coming out that that actually wasn't a million miles away from what they were doing with these what were they coaching doing? candidates I haven't they seen were before. like setting up specific scenarios you know in-game scenarios and basically going all right here's the situation go so he is actually putting them on Madden, right so he's basically setting them up in game situations on madden and being like all right let's see what you got i like it it's not the worst idea in the world it's certainly not the worst idea they've had surrounding a head coach even in the last six months yeah i I mean that's if you're going to interview a guy for 12 hours it better be more than just like (laughs) conversating about what you guys do on the weekends, right? right. It better have some actual, to it. Yeah. And that's one of the more interview difficult got things to find, though. We always say, more so in, like, GM interviews and, like, front office personnel. It's like, what do they actually do for their team? Mm-hmm. You know, what were their actual responsibilities? Because these are closed doors. You know, you can talk behind closed doors about a guy's actual responsibilities, but, like, what was he having to do from a game planning perspective? How much does he know from an actual, like, play calling? And he did take over play calling. He was their play call this past season, and I believe halfway through 2021 is when he took over. So, like, knowing that a guy has those things and can do those things for you, sometimes sometimes you don't know when you're hiring a guy or when you're interviewing a guy. So, like, I, I think that's a, one of the smarter things Drew Mercer's done. We'll say. <laughs> All right, we're going to jump into draft talk, and it's running backs today. So that'll be a fun. Hell yeah. That's what you come to PFF for, Exactly, right? right? Our running running back takes. takes. Um, But before that, we're back in the Western and Southern studios. The sound should be better. There's no people walking everywhere around Mm. us. We're not doing it from the back corner of a hotel room with a curtain behind us. I am still pushing tequila, though. I will say that. So just go ahead. Emmett Smith gave us a a free bottle of it. (laughs) That's actually should have brought it in. 
Um, yeah, we're, we're back in the Western Southern studio. The PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF, westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF. All right, Mike, we've been doing this position by position. We're going to build the perfect prospect. So we're going to start with the NFL guys, what that looks like from a current NFL player (laughs) point of view, and then you're going to tell us what that looks like when it comes to the draft guys. So your components for the running back, speed, burst, agility, strength, contact balance, vision, and then route running. You would a lot for this one. Yeah. It's a diverse position. And you completely ev- avoided blocking. You just you just don't care. Yeah, that part, whatever. <laughs> whatever. You're not drafting a guy because he's... You can teach him how to block. Not drafting a guy early because of how it's blocking. Right. You can teach him how to block or you have Adrian Peterson. Exactly. You know, you don't care. And you don't even care. Yeah. Or you just don't put him on the field in, in mm-hmm. important situations exactly. like Adrian Peterson. Okay, so NFL version. I think speed, Raheem Mostert. That one's not very controversial. Right. right. He has the two fastest ball carrier speeds, I believe, ever by NGS. Really? So, well, and now they've only been tracking for like five years, but still. True, still. He's fast. Um, burst. I think Tony Pollard has one of the best bursts out there. I think there's a few guys that could fit in that category, but I think Pollard is right there. Pollard, ETN. Yeah. ETN's burst is pretty nasty. Right. But, like, yeah, those are the guys who are Aaron Jones, high end, where it's just like standstill. Whew. Wish by you. Agility. Saquon. This one, I don't know. It's, to me, agility, and now he is agile for his size. Mm. But, like, the undersized guys are usually the ones who trend agile at the NFL level. Yeah, but who would you say is is m- clearly more agile than Saquon? Because he's got some pretty ridiculous. No, maybe like Austin Eckler. Yeah. Yeah, I could see but that. Obviously, he's getting up there in age right. touches. But, like, he, he probably the last three years, you know, Go back a couple years, probably the best in that mm-hmm. regard. I could buy that. Um, strength, Derrick Henry. Just mm, yeah. sheer brute force size, Derrick Henry. Um, no con- argument. Contact balance, Nick Chubb. Again, no argument. Good. Chubb is um, The last two I've gone with the same guy, and I was torn on vision a little bit, but I think vision and route running, Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, I hard to argue there. I will say he's – his vision, like his ability to get in and out of like holes is his biggest selling point as a runner. Like, I don't think he's particularly the most, you know, the best tackle breaker. I don't think he's yeah. the fastest. I don't think like anything special in that regard, but his way, his feet that he can get in and out of cuts is spectacular. And then the route running, obviously, as a receiver. Yeah. I think it always has been. I mean, even yeah. dating back to Stanford, like that's been his biggest selling point. All right, Mike. Collegiate what version. Is- what does the draft version look like? First off, hotly debated in this year's class. Nice. Loaded running back class. There's a lot of talent. But speed, there's two guys here that really came. But Devonta Chain gets the, the Texas A&M running back. He's 5'9", 185. But he has confirmed track. Uh, he, he ran track at Texas A&M. 10, 100-meter guy. They expect him to go four twos. Getting Chris Johnson comps. Wow. I don't know if I'm going to go that far. But he, he is very fast. The other guy that I would say who I gave best agility to is Keaton Mitchell because his actual GPS times, 
I don't know if he's going to run the same 40 and has the same track speed as a chain, but he was routinely over 22 miles per hour in the GPS. He flies. I was in person at the Cincinnati game, and he had a run down the sideline where like three guys took bad angles, and I was just like, whoa, that, uh, where'd that come from? So both those guys, EC running back, Texas a running back, can't fly. This class has some burners. That, so the last sort of play you described is fascinating because that to me is when you can see when a guy has ridiculous speed is when they completely break angles yes. during games. And Chris Johnson did that maybe better than anybody I've ever seen where he would go through a gap, a guy would have an angle on him, and he's just gone. Like the angle doesn't work. Yeah. And the problem is you can't retrain that in your brain during a game. Like you can't do it over the course of a single game. You can never, you're used to a certain angle of physics, and then all of a sudden physics doesn't work anymore because the guy you're going up against is just running at a different speed any other human around, and it changes. And you can never rewire your brain fast enough to combat that. And, and there's also, I think Jonathan Taylor, um, John Taylor, Brees Hall, there's like a few guys who don't, like when they get up to top speed, they don't look like they're running any harder. And I right. think those guys also break angles even more than maybe guys who do have speed but look like they're like like that you know we're running fast. Whereas Jonathan Taylor will just like he'll get up to speed and you don't even realize he's going that fast by you. Um, I think Keaton Mitchell is definitely in that mold of like, oh wow, he just kind of is going. Right. So those are your speed and agility guys. Yeah. What else we got? Burst. Burst. I have Syracuse running back Sean Tucker. Now he's also up there for speed. He reportedly as a high school recruit ran the four twos. Now I don't think I don't see that amount of speed, but he's probably a 4'3 guy. He's like 5'9", 205, rocked up dude. But when he gets there, – there's a clip of him, I believe it was in the Louisville game, first week of the season, where he catches a screen. And the way he just cuts out of the catch of the screen to get upfield, uh, it's pretty spectacular. So he, he has some elite caliber NFL burst. Uh, I, I'd, put it, I'd put it in the realm of like a Tony Pollard, of the guys who are good at that in the NFL. Now, nice. other aspects of his game leave a lot to be desired. But he's an explosive dude. Okay. Strength and uh, contact balance since it's the same I have guy. the same guy. Now, th this, this class is bereft of the true power backs. You know, the Ramondre Stevensons of the world, the Najee Harrises of the world, the 230-plus dudes. There's not a lot in this class. you got, like, Chris Rodriguez from Kentucky. you got Tavian Thomas from Utah. There's not a lot. This class trends more towards, like, 205 pounds to about 220. There's a lot of dudes in that range. But I think the one guy who's got size – and uses it really well, obviously. B. John Robinson. Like, there's a reason he's talked about as this generational special, whatever you want to call him, prospect, running back. It's because he's six foot, 220 with elite athleticism and elite power behind him. So he is strong, not necessarily a power back, but his play strength is pretty damn good. And his contact balance, he broke the PFF record for broken tackles of the season this past right. year. He's the highest, I think, for, for a guy who's actually started throughout his entire career. Um, at the running back position. So I think it was like 500 carries. For anyone who had 500 carries in college, he's had the highest broken tackle rate of anyone. So and we're going to get to great. him later on this show, but that's a good starting point for him. So vision and route running are two last, last ones. Vision. I'm going to go UCLA's Zach Charbonnet. He was even called by his head coach, Chip <coughs> Kelly, some of the best vision he's ever seen in running back. And Chip Kelly has coached the NFL level, mm. has played with some good running backs, or not played with, coached some good running backs, Sean McCoy notably. College Jack Sarbanet, one of the best visions they've seen. So Zach Sarbanet, that's like one of his calling cards. Uh, UCLA running back, he'll get drafted highly because of it. And then route running, the best pass catching running back in this class is Alabama's Jameer Gibbs. I don't 
think he's going to go in the first round. I've seen him first round mock, but I do think he probably comes off the board RB2. Probably just like a better version last year of James Cook coming out, like very similarly tooled. But I think Gibbs is just all around has a more complete game. Right, which makes him vaguely comparable to Dalvin Cook. Yes, then, yeah, James exactly. Cook. James <laughs> Cook to me was just like Dalvin Cook on 80% across the board. Like yeah. he just took down the notch everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's the same guy. It's amazing how alike they were. But, you know, if he's comparable to James Cook, somewhere a little bit better, that's that's getting into some pretty, pretty useful territory. Yeah. Um, all right, <clears throat> let's talk about B. John Robinson because he is being talked about as he's this year's, you know, generational running back. Um, so first of all, how generational are we talking here? Because that, you know, th- that word has started to get mm-hmm. pretty, you're, you're pretty uh, numb to that word these days, right? Every year there's somebody that's generational. Yes, yes, yes. No, and to me, a generation is like a football career. It's like eight years. Okay. The, every eight years in the NFL, kind of, you have a completely new group of NFL players. Now you get some holdovers at quarterback, offensive line, but running back, if you have an eight-year career running back. You're doing well. That's it. You know, So that's a generation uh, in the NFL. So that's also the span of the PFF college era, basically. We've done nine years of grading in college football. I would put B. John Robinson personally as the best running back of that time span, just in terms of projection to the NFL. I, I thought Saquon's running style – had a little too many worries, in my opinion. Uh, when projecting the league, obviously, fantastic athlete all around. No questions about that. But, like, he was a home run play merchant. Like, he was the guy bouncing outside. He'd stop his feet behind the line of scrimmage. He wasn't as decisive as I see Bijan Robinson on tape. And then Robinson's, like, there in that realm athletically. I, I'm not sure if he's going to test as off the charts as Saquon, but it, you don't need to to be an elite running back at the NFL. He has very high-end tools. So, so that, that would be my first question. If – if he's the best running back during the PFF era since we've been grading college football, who who was that before this year? Who was the previous best running back you've seen come out? That's tough. Now, I didn't love Leonard Fournette. Um, obviously, he was like the second highest drafted. So you have Saquon was the highest drafted right. too, Leonard four, Zeke four. Um, and Zeke was just very good, very sound. Zeke was like that guy who was maybe not the anti-Saquon Barkley, but like all the things that you kind of knock Saquon Barkley for, Zeke did already. Yeah. Zeke's like, this guy is NFL built all over him. Like he gets upfield, he can pass protect, he can do all the little things. Um, but I'll trend more towards the guy who's probably just a dynamic athlete. So love Saquon, love Dalvin Cook, obviously coming out, but he has other issues, but I'd probably have said Saquon was probably the best in the PFF era before. Do you have a comp for Bijan? Oh. Not a good one. Not nothing I loved. I, I I could look real quick who I put in the draft guide, but so when I was watching his tape, um, he kind of struck me as a little bit of of what you're saying before that everything he does he makes look really easy, mm-hmm. like and it doesn't necessarily look like he's you know going 100, percent but it just works. And that reminded me a lot of the kind of style is a lot of how Christian McCaffrey did really well. But yeah. Christian McCaffrey's a good athlete with the exception of his three cone, which is like mind blowingly insane. But everything else, he's like a good athlete. But what if you took that and made it, in, you know, had the same style from a great athlete? That kind of is where I'm feeling with Bijan Robinson at the moment. All right. I put Edron James okay. for Bijan Robinson. Yeah. So the kind of the do it all backs that were the rage in the 2000s, where right. there's Edge, LT, like that's the mold. That, that's the mold. And LT isn't a bad comp either, yeah. actually. I mean, that's he, like he those similar, guys were all very similar. Yeah, and he had a similar um, style of, like, it didn't look difficult. Like, mm-hmm. he just made those things look easy. I, I think my comp for McCaffrey when he was coming out was Priest Holmes, which, again, like, when he was at his peak was absurd. Yeah. Like, 
they're all in that kind of similar mold if they just make this kind of thing look simple and the, a lot of it is the vision and always being in the right place and there are a lot of runs he makes where you can see the cut he's going to make but he somehow makes it better and then gets through a gap better than other people making the same cut it's just his ability to actually succeed doing those things is insane it's just smooth smooth yeah so okay so if he's the best running back would come along saquon was probably the one before that we can those are the i think you've yeah. mentioned the guys that are in that conversation right saquon leonard fournette depending on how you liked him mm-hmm. christian mccaffrey zeke um Bijan is now number one in that that category the real question becomes knowing what we know about team building about running back data pff how dependent running backs are and everything else all those kind of things right then all the way to the extreme of running backs don't matter blah 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 how high do you take a guy like that and this is not how high should the nfl take how high if you gm michael mm-hmm. how high does gm michael draft Bijan? so there's this just set the stage a little before I say where I draft. Like, <laughs> there's like a few things at play here, right? One is the positional value, just like how much he's going to impact the field. We've seen, I think the Chiefs learned this, where it's like draft a running back. You think it's like, you know, this icing on the cake, the last piece of the puzzle, chair on top, whatever. But truth is the teams, the best teams in the NFL don't want to take the hand, the ball out of the hands of their quarterback, right? They, they want to pass. You want to be able to run the ball, but truthfully, you don't want, you know, the offense revolve around Derrick Henry. You don't like those guys get you only so far you want to win through the air. That's how you do it. And as good as you can be as a receiver running back, you're probably still going to be like an average wide receiver. There's few guys who are actually running backs that could have been, you know, Chris McCaffrey's probably like one of the few. And that's why the four right. pay the premium where it's like, this guy can actually just split out wide and do be a receiver and cool. And then make an impact there. So I wouldn't, you know, Bijan at 220, is he ever going to be that as a receiver? Eh, probably not. So it, to join the elite, to be among the elite, you just want to pass. And that inherently devalues the running back position. And then what I other, the other point I said was if you play eight years um, at the running back position, that's a career. Like that's a long career in the NFL. Whereas if you draft other, say, lower value positions, guard, tight end, those guys 12 or 13 years is what you're expecting. out. Of. Like that can be a cornerstone, especially offensive line where if you get a you know, a Jason Kelsey, if you get a guy who's like a stalwart at guard, they're there for 15 years and they're also relatively like they take pay cuts. Like, they, they, like to the hometown discount, a lot of guys taking those are the guys who aren't complaining about their contracts tend to be along the offensive line for whatever reason it is. Like you don't see a lot of O-line holdouts. That's just not a thing. So those two issues aside, I think Bijan Robinson is still good enough that I'd go as high in this draft because it always, you know, depends right. on the other talent that you could get. And that's an important point. Like we, everyone always talks about, like never take a running higher than whatever point. Yes. It always depends what else <laughs> is available. And actually, specifically with running backs in the first round, I think that may actually be the most important thing. It's the opportunity cost of what you could be yeah. potentially passing up the higher up the draft you go. I would go as high as 18 to the Detroit Lions. Okay. I think that's reasonable. Because to me, to draft a running back that highly, I have to have a very good offensive line also. I don't care about the other aspect. Like, you know, the other things we said of like, oh, it has to be the last piece of a championship team. No, like I have to have a top five, 10, top 10 at worst offensive line already for me to think it's going to pay off for me because that's when it really does, in my opinion, like having that elite level of running back is when it pays off is when it takes you into that realm of unstoppable rushing game. So 18 Detroit. 23 Baltimore and then 
that might be it of teams I'd actually be willing to pull a trigger on the first round. Dallas? And then 31, Philly. Dallas, no, because they're stuck with Zeke still, right? I mean, maybe they cut him, but they're stuck with that cap hit. Um, and then I guess if you know, if you let Pollard walk too, maybe, but, like, right. I don't know. I just think Dallas has other needs. And, again, it's going to come to the offensive line, too, where um, they did a good job of trying to rebuild it, but Tyron Smith, Jason Peters, obviously, they're old. I think um, I think running back should be very clearly separated between the sort of what you would invest in free agency or second contracts and the draft. I think mm-hmm. they tend to get lumped into the same conversation as don't invest in running backs yeah. at the end. But I actually think there's a much stronger argument for investing in running backs in the draft even high than there is investing a big money free agent contract in a running back. Yeah. And so... Where, but I do think you get to a point in the first round, like the higher up you go, where it no longer makes sense, right? So Saquon, for example, I, I don't want a running back at number two. Like his contract is nuts for a running back. If he doesn't pan out, it's a problem. Plus, as you said, no offensive line. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's just harder. Um, and at number two, the opportunity cost of what you could have had, you know, behind door number two is probably a lot Huge. stronger. Yes. Um, but let's say, let's Najee Harris. Jonathan Jake or Josh Jacobs, I think they both went in the same position, 24. 20s, yeah. Um, those guys, contract wise, are not on a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Like when you look where they stack up relative to other running backs in the NFL, that's a really reasonable deal. Yeah. And at the point where you're picking 24 or wherever in the 20s, you're probably not passing up on a blue chip prospect to take that guy there. Um, the contract isn't bad. And yet the talent at running back is arguably going to be the best guy in the draft, right? So I think that's the kind of sweet spot where it's actually, I don't have a problem with drafting a running back in the first round somewhere in, you know, the lower half of the middle of the round and below, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and last year, the first running back, running back off the board was Brees Hall, right? And that was fine. Like the mm-hmm. Jets drafted Brees Hall with their fourth pick. They had, yeah. Three at that well, point? Yeah, yeah, three in the first round. Fourth right. pick. You're like, that's that's fine. His contract is a bargain. He might be the best running back available in this draft. That's a steal. Yeah. Embrace it. No, I, I I agree. And again, it's like if the situation's in place. Like if you are the Steelers, though, drafting Najee Harris and you're like, he's going to change our running game, you're just going to be sorely mistaken. Right. You're just you're just miscalculating yes. how or just misinterpreting how or what leads to rushing success at the NFL level. Um, putting the cart before the horse, right? Shall we say? So that that's that's it's a twofold kind of problem in that, and and I agree with you though that like at that range, I think people overestimate the hit rate of a lot of other positions that you are really less than fifty percent of chance of getting a good NFL player there. Yeah, and that and, and the safety and security are not like running back, just somewhat of an easier position to scout in the traits that it takes to. Succeed at the NFL. Right. So we can kind of broaden this from Bijan into this more general conversation about running backs being drafted. But that, that to me, the kind of mistake of putting the cart before the horse, that's a just a process error rather than yeah. a fundamental should you draft a running back at this position. The issue with Pittsburgh was exactly what everybody was saying at the time, which is if you are drafting this running back in the first round, believing it will fix your run game, you're out of your mind. Mm-hmm. That's the like that was the mistake, not drafting the running back in the first round at all. Like I think that's entirely defensible. And you know, if you look at Pittsburgh, they're they're sort of the proof either way. 
Like they did, it didn't fix their run game because they didn't fix the offensive line and the other parts of the offense that were causing the problems. But equally, if they ever do, A, Najee has already shown he's a good running back and can take advantage of that. And B, he's not on a lot of money. So if you ever actually get the rest of the stuff fixed, it's, it's perfectly justifiable yes. to take that guy in the first round. But I agree with you. Like the, you should do it in the right order. Mm-hmm. There's no point bringing the running back in if the situation isn't there for him to actually have any success. Yes. And it's not like quarterback where it's like, oh, he can develop. It's like, mm, you're just putting needless t- miles on those tires. You know? is, yeah, running back is a weird position where they're almost it, their career is almost upside down. Like it's the one position where a guy should be able to come in, hit the ground running immediately, and then arguably they're only going to get worse from that point on. The I guess the only counter to that is they're probably going to get more sophisticated in the pass game, and in particular uh, from a blocking yeah. standpoint the deeper into their career they get yeah i have no data to support this but i think year two year three is the prime of an nfl running back that's that's like that is the peak like i think you have you know year one of like learn the offense everything's new whatever some hesitation like maybe you don't hit ground and be elite but year two or three year three that's it you're only getting worse from there usually and that's another reason i think why it is kind of justifiable to take these guys Mm -hmm. reasonably high in the draft because you are targeting the guys that are you know the superior prospects you're only getting them probably for that first contract if you have any sense you're going to let them walk after that point um at which point there's value in that there's value in getting that guy for the first contract an elite talent and hoping he doesn't get injured and then letting the guy cook dalvin cook Dalvin Cook, who's apparently having surgery on a shoulder that he broke in 2019 (laughs) according to an adam Schefter report today uh He's just like, you know what? I think it's time. Yeah. I've, I've been in serious pain for three, four years. I think it's about. <laughs> I've been living I've been in daily agony for the last yeah. three or four years. And you know what? Now, now feels like the moment where that's become the straw has, been, has broken the camel's back. Exactly. I'm finally going to get it fixed. In, My insurance is good enough. <laughs> right. In, in February, like February 14th. They've, what has he been doing the last yeah. few weeks? Even yeah. if he was like, all right, finally, midway through the season, this is the year. It's too much. At the end of this season, I'm going to get it fixed. We're done. Yeah. Why, he still waited like a month. Like, what are we doing? That's, I don't understand that story at all. Um, all right. So in addition to all the running back stuff, Mike, you, you've been to the All-Star Games. You were at the Shrine Bowl, sure. right? And you were also at the Senior Bowl. So I want to hear some Mike Renner takeaways. Who, who stood out? Who stood out good and bad? Good and bad. And so now... I, I don't think the battle, I'll just preface this by saying, I don't think the bad is um, as bad as the good is good. Okay. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, I, I don't think the guys who go there and just, like, you know, have bad weeks, sometimes that can be, you know, you played at a small school, you just weren't ready. Sure. You know, this is so different. It's whatever. It's a, it's a whole new scenario. But the guys who really come there and look like, just look head and shoulders above everyone else. Those are the guys, whether it's, you know, Terry McLaurin, Debo Samuel, yeah. the guys we've seen there in years past where it's like, okay, that's, these are, he's beating up guys who are going to be in the NFL. Yeah. That's so, the thing. That's good. the thing to me that I'm looking for mm-hmm. in senior and particularly senior bowl week, but those all-star practice weeks, it's yeah. like, who are the guys that go there and just immediately look like they're at a different level to other people? Yes. Cause that has to be a valuable data point. So I think the guys who really did that at wide receiver tank Dell, Houston wide receiver, Michael Wilson, Stanford wide receiver. I also throw Jaden Reed, Michigan State wide receiver in there, but it's like maybe a little bit lesser degree. But those two guys, they didn't lose. And two 
different types of wide receivers. Dell, Houston wideout. He led the FBS in receiving yards, receiving touchdowns, but he's 5'9", 165. He's about as small as it gets. But, man, his game is eerily, eerily. And now I don't love all draft comps, but the Deshaun Jackson Tank Dell draft comp is like they move the same. They have the same level of speed. They're uh, Now, Deshaun Jackson was like a punt returner coming out. Um, but, like, when they are in the open field, no one catches them. And somehow they, they just, like, that caliber of athleticism is different. And it's it's easy to look different on Houston tape. But then when he's different against other, again, NFL corners, you're like, oh, okay. So I think Tank Dell could go in a very similar range to where Deshaun Jackson went. I think he could have a very similar career. So he really stood out. Wilson, though, a guy who he just got hurt a bunch. I think he had multiple collarbone injuries at Stanford. Um, back in like 2019, he was, I think, their second leading receiver and just has not had a full season since. He hasn't had close to full season since. So, but he's a bigger dude, 6'2, almost 220, but he just got route running chops. You know, he has, he knows how to get off the line, knows how to get clean out of his breaks. Um, very impressed with him. So, those two guys, I think, made themselves a lot of money. The, the Tank Dell, Deshaun Watson um, comp, or just not Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Jackson comp is fascinating because Deshaun Jackson is probably like the archetype success story for that undersized speedster receiver that even if he's a one-trick pony the one trick is so good that he's going to hang around for a decade or more and make every single team that he's on immediately better Mm -hmm. and we've struggled a little bit I think the league has struggled a little bit how do you identify that guy versus the guy that appears to have all of that and it just doesn't work no uh, the league's been trying to find that you know the uh, was it Dwayne Eskridge Rondale Moore um Tutu Atwell Tutu is a good example last year Wandale Robinson everyone wants that next Deshaun Jackson but I, I've I've not thought of any of those guys as the next Deshaun Jackson so I'll like what, say that. what separates you know Tutu uh, Atwell from Deshaun Jackson from to the extent where one works and one doesn't. And look, Tutu yeah. made some plays at the end of last season. Maybe he's going to come on. But, like, so far, we're not looking at this guy saying he's the next to Sean Jackson. I think there's two big things. One's foot speed. And so, like, foot speed gets you off the line of scrimmage clean when you're undersized. You need straight line speed, but then you also need agility. Um, and a lot of guys uh, who have straight line speed, a lot of guys don't have both, right? Um, so I, I do think a Dwayne Eskridge was not – his foot speed was very average. A Tutu Atwell was not the same level of just like whatever that is, you know, foot speed. Okay. And then it's being able to stop to, to be effective in that route tree of just like getting vertical, getting vertical, getting vertical. You have to be able to sell verticals and then stop on a dime to make any of that work or else everyone's just going to run with you vertical. And then because cornerbacks, NFL cornerbacks are very agile, you know, that that's like a prerequisite for the position. So those guys can stop on a dime and come back downhill very quickly. Whereas I didn't see that from Dwayne Eskridge. Um, I did not see that to the degree from Wandale Robinson that it's just like they're go from full speed to a full stop without you having any time to react and then can get back downhill for a comeback. So I do think that's one of the biggest things that gets not off talked about with these speed wide receivers is can they actually throttle that speed and you know create that separation that it takes? So I do think I see that from takedown. I think a huge part of it is also um, how your hands work during the route. Like you need to be able to get off you contact. Yeah. yeah, you have to be able to get away from the corner and separate because 
A, NFL cornerbacks are too fast. Like the difference between even a speed wide receiver and a cornerback is not a lot. Mm-hmm. And if there is any difference, the corner can immediately negate that if he gets any kind of contact on you. Like if you, if you get stopped for a split second, whatever speed differential you have over him is dead. And that's why like Richard Sherman with his 4-5 or whatever was never, almost never beaten deep because it was so hard to get off him. Like yes, to get, he could touch you you're right, from wherever. rid so of the contact. Yeah. And that's why like, so um, Rasheed Rice is really interesting to me because it feels like he wants the contact. He seems terrible at getting off that contact. Like he blows by dudes, but then almost seems to like reinitiate the contact and get stuck on a corner where, that he should be separating like two, three, four yards down the field based off like how his physical advantage is over that guy. And he did not have a great senior ball. He, he was up and down because of that. Like he'd get stuck on DBs. And yeah. That's just the way of the world when you have that play style. And that feels like a thing that I, I, there's not too many guys you can think of that like struggled with that as a concept and mm-hmm. then fixed it. Like yeah. immediately yeah. figured out how to avoid contact and get clean off those uh, physical encounters with DBs deep down the field. Um, all right, other positions. Other positions. Uh, uh, defensive line, I thought a number of guys stood out. Will McDonald from Iowa State, probably going to be highest-drafted guy that was there. On the defensive line, I thought he had a good week. But the guy who, like, really – now, I was high on him going in, but, like, came there and answered a lot of questions to me was Carl Brooks from Bowling Green. The At Bowling Green, he was an edge rusher, which is why I was like, I wanted to see him because he's 6'4", 300, and he's not going to be an edge rusher in the NFL. You know, no one – no one at that size is playing edge in the NFL. So he's an interior guy, but had never played there at Bowling Green. So he goes there and just looked like he belonged. You know, had a lot of good reps in the team period, a lot of good reps in the one-on-ones. And, you know, against the run, double teams, we worry about with those guys, it didn't look like a liability. It wasn't elite or anything by any means, but, like, I think he can play in the NFL at that size on the interior. So I think he made himself a lot of money. And then another off-ball linebacker with kind of, like, tweener size concerns Ivan Pace Jr. the Cincinnati linebacker he he's like a like a poor man's Micah Parsons he's an unbelievable blitzer unbelievable uh at defeating blocks but he is 5'11 230 you know so he's like Micah Parsons minus three inches right minus 20 pounds but man he gets after it he he had a rep in the actual game where Osiris Torrance is climbing to the second level Osiris Torrance is 6'4 345 and you put him flat on his back like he pancaked a guard that size. I, 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 I'm in awe of what he could do. He ran the fastest of any linebacker on the GPS. So no one's going to want to draft a running back who's five, or excuse me, a linebacker who's five eleven, just because of the coverage aspect in today's NFL. Can't shut down windows. One on one with tight ends is like it's just tough. But everything else besides that size is pretty sweet. So, so that's that's sort of sounding other than the size part a little bit more like a, a Dante Hightower than it is a Michael Parsons in terms of a guy who can rush the passer really well, not necessarily as an edge rusher, but if you get him matched yeah. up one-on-one versus running backs, tight ends, he just destroys those guys. Yeah. Well, he beat offensive linemen at Cincy, too. <laughs> it was the weird, like, I, I just, there's no proof of concept for a guy that size ever rushing the passer at the NFL level. Right. You know, so that's the problem. Like, even Elvis Doomerville was sub six foot, right? He was about the small, yeah, like five, shortest, 10, 11. tightest build. But Elvis Doomerville was, what, like 5'11", 265 yeah. or something? Like, he was load. So, if Pace wants to gain 20 pounds, hey, I'd, I'd think about it. But just a unique skill set. So, we'll see. I mean, that's how, how big Robert Mathis was pretty tall, right? Like, he was 240-something. Um, Mathis wasn't that tall. I think Mathis might have been I think he was tall. Maybe I'm making six that up. foot 
235? 6'2". Oh, was he? Okay. Yeah. I always... But he, he wasn't like a long-range guy, but he was under 240. He's one of the few to do it under 240 now in that scheme. They kind of just let him not play the run, which is which helped. <laughs> but, yeah, Mathis, that's, that's interesting. They had a weird... A, that was a, a strange combination of Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis, mm-hmm. both of whom were undersized, both of whom were reasonably short. Um, but those and, guys were shot out of a cannon. Yeah. Man. Yeah, Dwight Freeney, just that coil and the inside spin move, obviously, that was unstoppable for a decade. And then Robert Mathis with just absurd speed around the edge. But yeah, like Mathis is the sort of guy that you think prototypical, tiny, you know, small, undersized edge rusher. But it it always did stick in my brain that he's he's always taller than you think he was. James Harrison might be like the closest size comp, right? James Harrison was like six foot 240. Yeah. But James Harrison was six foot 240 without an ounce of fat uh, that he was muscle six yes. foot two forty. he was a brick which it, when and i also, see i mean this was a guy that went undrafted and, and had then, to yeah. basically prove so, that he could function at that level so we'll see we'll see what pace can do okay anybody else last winner last big winner i'll say i think dewan jones the ohio state offensive tackle um I, I just he's he's massive i was like, gonna he, say we the, have to start with the wingspan right he's the biggest offensive tackle that i've ever seen just like from a frame he's six nine Wingspan is seven five. Um, <laughs> hands are eleven and three eighths inch or eleven and a half inches. Um, so he's going to have like the biggest hand size ever at the combine, biggest wingspan ever at the combine, which makes him only half an inch smaller than Steve's hands. Yeah, he's good. Steve's got mitts, but the, I mean he's just he's huge, right? He's like if Steve played off the stack and <laughs> and lost some weight. <laughs> just kidding, Steve. Um, but you know, Jones is. You worry about those guys, you know, Daniel Fowle last year, kind yeah. of similar dude, right? You worry about foot speed. What are you going to do against Robert Mathis? What are you going to do against Savon Miller? Um, what are you going to do against a Will Anderson when you're that size? I think he gets around it with his play style. You know, he's quick setting guys. He's getting his hands on them. He knows how to use his hands really well. And he's kind of avoiding situations where he has to react and really use utilize that foot speed because he's so just adept. And I think he's, you know, I saw him as right there and while he's, uh, so he played the first day actually, only one day of practice and it's utterly dominant, dominant, dominant. And that's like, I was like, whoa, really eye-opening. And then what then also opened my eyes is he's there the rest of the week with the offensive line group and he's like calling out the moves that the defensive linemen are gonna do. He's like, you'll watch the inside move, do this. Like he's locked in still, like a student of the game actually, you know, no preparing still right, kind of he as he's out, right because he had it was it a they he had a headache or something yeah. so they he they just held him out for a couple of days he just dominated enough that his agent told him to stop probably <laughs> um but it's just that guy who's still locked in like that competitive nature that i'll go to bat for if a guy like has that is wired that way you can see the tape that he had at ohio state which is very good very, rarely lost in pass pro translating to the NFL. So I think he made himself a lot of money. I, I mean, think he's yeah, be- he looks visibly a lot more um, agile and better movement skills than a guy like Falele. Yes, know? it's not. It's night and day. Falele was like below the threshold, in my opinion, of now, playable. you, in the past, I believe, have, uh, I guess, v- suggested the, the opinion that you can be too long as an offensive tackle. Yes. The LaRaven Clark problem. So, so few know how to use their hands at that length. But he has so 36 and like a half inch arms. And he, he knows how to use them really well. Uh, it's a rarity. So 
again, not the type of tackle I usually go for. I, I worry about, you know, the foot speed there. And I also worry about injuries. It just, whether it's Mekhi Becton, whether it's Trent Brown, those guys don't stay on the football field. They yeah. just haven't. When you're that size, your knees, your ankles, your back are under a lot of stress. So I, I, I still don't like, you know, not top 15, not top 20, but, you know, back into the first, if you're a team that really, you know, maybe you're a run-heavy team, maybe you got a mobile quarterback, I'd look long and hard about Dwan Jones because no one's bull rushing that dude. You know, if you're right. if you're going to face contain rushes because your quarterback's so athletic, if you're like the Ravens, if you're the Bears, that you want to tackle like that. Okay, so that was uh, that was winners from the Senior Bowl. Were there yes. any guys that definitely uh, let themselves down? Yes, the one guy, a couple guys I call losers from the Senior Bowl: Jalen Duncan, um, the Maryland offense tackle. I mean, he looks the part in kind of everything he does. He's very smooth, very just a natural athlete, very well put together. And just like the pass reps come, and he just kind of like is lackadaisical. Um, didn't look locked in. Had one of the lowest pass pass blocking win rates of anyone in the one on ones throughout the week. Just kind of like, eh. He just leaves you wanting more on tape. A heck of an athlete, like I said, like put together like guys like Paris Johnson. Broderick Jones that people are talking about as top 10 picks. Duncan's in that similar mold, but just leaves this tape is just nowhere near those guys. So thought he didn't had a chance to make himself some money. Did not. And then JL Skinner, the Boise State safety, who listed at 6'4, 220. You're thinking he can be this, you know, either Kyle Hamilton slot or even maybe just like transition to off ball linebacker entirely if he puts on some weight. He comes there 6'4, 211. Uh, and that's just like not that's just not as skinny he's, he looks like he belongs on a basketball court right that's just not a build that i really want playing defensive back in the nfl because you're too high cut to really be like a corner on the outside or a safety that can like you know flip his hips and run from like an off alignment um because you're that that tall it's just like difficult at that size to do and then you're not big enough to play in the box you're not strong enough to play in the box whatsoever so jalen excuse me jail skinner very much a tweener he looked at Senior Bowl. This was like, this was a case of the list weight just being 20 pounds off or he'd actually changed composition specifically? He looked skinnier. Like right. he looked like he had came there to be Svelter, which I don't know, not, not, not a deal. Okay. Um, what about what about the same winners and losers from the Shrine Week? Was there anybody that stood out? Shrine there? Bowl, um, there was a corner by the name of Kytrell. I think that's his name. I think it's how Clark. Louisville corner, got after it. Undersized dude, like 5'9", 5'10", 180, something that range. But, man, feisty, great route breaks. I thought he made himself some money there. Um, on the flip side of things, the bad side of things, that, there, there are actually like a number of guys who I was looking forward to seeing there that were like top 100 on the PFF board that none of them really stood out. Now, Zay Flowers barely even practiced, went there and kind of just went through the motions. Whatever for him, the Boston College wide receiver. But the Texas duo of defensive tackles, Keandre Coburn and Moro Ojomo, both were top 100 players heading into the Shrine Bowl. Neither went there, and obviously the competition level, Shrine Bowl versus Senior Bowl, a lot more at you know, the Senior Bowl, a lot more NFL talent Senior Bowl than there was the Shrine Bowl offensive line talent that they were going up against, nothing special, and just kind of didn't dominate. You know, you're expecting to dominate. They just kind of looked solid. There's nothing special. So... Probably still in that late day two range for both of them to early day three. It feels like we are starting to get a ton of buzz about Zay Flowers at the moment. 
Yeah, like Jose. a lot of people seem to love that guy. Steve Smith, I saw, was absolutely going to bat for him, saying he's incredible. His he tape is phenomenal. This dude is amazing. Yeah, I think he put so he's a senior, and usually, you know, any top wide receiver prospect, usually they're coming out early. You know, Devontae Smith, probably one of the few outliers of guys drafted highly that spent four years in college. It's kind of a position you know and you see and identify early. Um, but I do think he was a lot – so he put on a good deal of weight from last offseason or last season to this season, and he added like a little more juice to his game because I think he was listed at 170. He comes to the Shrine Bowl at 180. Um, and I just think that's because he put in a lot of effort in the weight room from last year to this year and just lo- looked different athletically, and that's why you're seeing a guy rise up boards so late in his career. Yeah, and like when you're that size, it doesn't sound like anything, but the difference between 170 and 180 is not it's big. insignificant when yeah. you're talking about a guy that starts off at that size. Like that's a pretty significant body composition change if you're if you're piling on muscle. It's a lot of muscle for a five nine dude. You know, like that on a five nine frame, that's a lot. All right, Michael, a little bit of a short show today, but mm-hmm. we're good. Um, Can't talk about running backs too long. No, it's contractually. We're not allowed. I mean, it's BFF. Half hour. We'd get turfed out of the Western and Southern studio if we were trying that. So, conclusions. B. John Robinson, generational. Legitimately generational. Good player. Absolutely. Good player. We would draft him in the first round. Now, not crazy high, Mm -hmm. but you can absolutely draft this guy in the first round. And generally, we would draft running backs in the first round if they're that good. We have no problem with that, Mm -hmm. unlike others. You know? We're woke. We're, we're second woke. Um, we're the pushback woke. We are, we are the backlash to yeah. the running backs don't matter. Um, and then, obviously, Mike gave us his breakdown of the, uh, the all-star game winners and losers over the course of those weeks. So I think those are fascinating weeks of practice. I've always been a big proponent on the guys that stand out actually being guys to watch going yes. forward. I think showing up and showing that you are at a level different to – the all-star group of college athletes yeah. and therefore guys that are going to be in the NFL can only stand in your favor. Yeah. Now. And I think then there's truly, I mean, I highlighted five guys that I, like even of those five, it, like that's like, that's like it though. Like that's what I'm trying to say is like, there's not that many more that it actually was impactful for like that. I was like, Oh, you know, looking like a little good there. I don't think is any indicator of success. You better go there and dominate to get that level of where it's like, okay, then I, then to change your opinion on a guy, he has to show out something different. Yeah, and, and it's obviously not, you know, one-to-one. Like Denzel Mims absolutely wrecked the senior yeah. ball, and the guy has struggled to do anything at the NFL level mm-hmm. so far. So it's not it's not like it's a guarantee, but I, I still think it's a pretty important data point, and I'm, I'm definitely willing to go to bat for guys that show that kind of performance. Mims also not. probably committed about six OPIs in the one-on-ones that year. Yeah, that'll help. Um, all right, Michael. Thank you very much for the uh, the draft insight. For sure. We will be back tomorrow, myself and Steve. Um, no earthly idea what we'll be talking about yet since all the games have now finished. But the mailbag is always open, so send us an email at nflpodcast at pff.com. We are almost there to our uh, fundraising goal to see Steve try and play rugby. Uh, we need another, what, $145 to hit that goal. So go to the charity drive it's my pin tweet at pff underscore sam uh that's it for us thanks for watching we will see you tomorrow